What would you like to share with listeners today? Other ways of responding to harm. Liberation. This sound shield that you could take with you to protest. Collaborative dialogue. Demystify the process. Liberation loops. My name is Carly Beck, and you're listening to Liberation Loops, a series that has been created and produced from the 3CR studios on the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nation. This is a series that dives deep into people's practices to challenge the criminal legal system, and through this series I hope to discover in what ways people are already addressing violence in our communities, and in what ways people are learning to heal from harm. In this episode, I speak with Yung Ocean Dang about pod mapping. Ocean is a Vietnamese settler, therapist, supervisor, and facilitator living and working on Yagara and Turrbal country. Trained as a social worker and narrative therapist, and brought up through prison abolition and anti-violence organising, Ocean has spent the last several years working to articulate the connection between collective liberation and personal transformation through political education and counselling. Guiding and grounding her work is a commitment to supporting people to respond to trauma and violence in a context of safety, dignity and social justice. This episode discusses the importance of preparing for crisis situations and challenges us to broaden our ideas about consent within our interpersonal relationships. Welcome Jung or Ocean. How are you going? Hi Carly, I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, giving a go at pronouncing my name. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about um, the meaning behind your name? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, yeah, I only recently discovered the meaning of it, to be honest. I'm 32 and it's taken me almost 32 years to discover it. Um, so I recently asked my mum to translate or to write it down to me and um, I asked a couple of friends to, to translate it and discovered that Jung means ocean. And the, the longer part of the name, which uh, is uh, the distance of the Pacific Ocean, uh, which might not have a lot of meaning for people listening to this, but um, to me it has a lot of meaning because it reconnects me to my roots, uh, where I come from, and, you know, the story of being a refugee and migration, in which my parents were separated um, when they were trying to flee uh, the Vietnam War. Uh, so the story goes, it took them the distance of the Pacific Ocean to make me. So yeah, I, I'm happy to go by Yung or, or Ocean. And uh, where are you calling in from today? I'm calling in from, well, my office at the moment in Paddington. But uh, yeah, I live and work on Yagar and Turrbal country. And can you tell listeners how you came into this practice? Yeah, it's um, a really good question. I mean, I think from many different places, but um, I think a lot of people um, come to social work or social justice work um, because we've experienced some kind of pain um, or harm or violence in our lives. Um, I think growing up, I realised pretty early on that the, the current systems that we have in place did not offer resolution or healing um, to the harm that my family or I experienced or witnessed. You know, so growing up, there were lots of, you know, um, incidents of family violence, but calling the police was not an option 
or a thing that we wanted to do. But I also realized that there weren't, you know, at the time growing up, didn't know of any alternatives, didn't know of what else to do other than um, endure it, um, other than like turning towards each other, which I guess is a form of community response. Um, and I say I think this experience of violence and understanding of state harm um, kind of led me to work in uh, domestic violence and sexual assault organizations. Um, but I also learned pretty quickly through those systems that um, there was nothing really in place to protect people who've been victimized by harm. And that the systems that we are told that are here to protect us actually harm us. So policing, legal systems, the criminal justice system. But what I noticed in my work with clients is that they were constantly failing people. And so I think it was about maybe seven years ago that I started to look into like, okay, what what's out there? What if we're not going to turn into to policing? What can we do? When I attended a community accountability workshop, and it just blew me away. I began to explore and imagine and see in practice um, that there were other ways of responding to harm that didn't cause further harm. And so, yeah, I guess like both my experiences and histories of violence, my work in the area led me to, to dream of something better or something different and seeing that there was already work happening on the ground, both in, in the engine and in other places around the world, uh, I think really fueled some hope that, yeah, this is just what I want to invest in. This is what I want to dedicate my kind of life to. What does community yeah. accountability mean to you? Um, well, I think there are many definitions to it, but I, as a really, like, you know, um, definition that I really like is uh, is an approach to responding to violence, harm, and abuse without causing more harm. Um, it sounds pretty simple, but I think there's so many things that can get in the way of that. Uh, but community responses or accountability um, responses and interventions don't rely on the state or its tactics, and don't reinforce uh, violence and senses healing, accountability, and safety for all involved. Um, I think, you know, like when I think about community accountability, what it really tries to do is respond to isolation and disconnection, which I think is really a breeding ground for harm to be reinforced with gone notice. You know, so it, it's so much easier to distrust and fear each other when, uh, when we're disconnected. It's so much easier to get trapped into thinking that there is good and bad, you know, a villain and hero, innocent and guilty when we're isolated. And I think it's so much easier to think that the state can deal with harm when we haven't yet developed the skills, relationships, and knowledge to respond to harm ourselves. Um, so in saying that, like, community accountability is about building connections of deep trust, care, and reliability. It's about creating and relying on a group of people to respond to harm, which disperses the weight of responsibility. You know, it's not saying that one person's responsible, the state's responsible. Thing. How do we find a group where we can have collective care and responsibility? Um, it's building kind of a circle and network of people that can embolden us to take actions to respond to harmful or risky situations. 
And I think it's it's about learning to practice new languages and practices that can can help us to respond to harm. So I mean, I, I really think it's about how we relate to each other. It's about learning how to be in relation with each other, especially when things are hard. And it's about how to make repair how we respond to the ruptures in our everyday life. What tool would you like to share with listeners today? Yeah, um, I would like to share um, pod mapping, so mm-hmm. which um, comes from the Bay Area Transformative Justice Collective in California in the U.S. And I, I think there are like so many tools out there to respond to violence, but I really like to talk about this one because it's a relationship-based model for doing care work and accountability work. And it's a tool that we can, I think anyone can use, right? That it's accessible and something that we can do when we're not in crisis. So, I mean, just a bit of context and and background, I think um, when we hear the word community accountability, um, a question that comes up a lot of time, which is legitimate, is like, what do you mean by community? Like, um, who's going to be there for me? And I think community can be a really vague and romanticized term. And, you know, when, when stuff happens, when harm occurs, you know, I can't just rely on, say, the Vietnamese community or the queer community to help me. But I can call on a couple of people, a few people I trust that I know, to respond to the situation with care and respect. So this small group of people is what um, this tool calls my pod. So a pod is a very specific group of people for a specific purpose. Um, pods are a more useful way to understand our relationships and the supports that we need if we've been harmed or who we need to need for us to be um, held accountable. Uh, so, for example, um, there's, a, there's a pod map worksheet uh, on the website of the Bay Area Transformative Justice Collective um, group. And it's a worksheet that you can use for a very specific purpose. For example, if I was trying to figure out who I need to call in a mental health crisis. Um, I mean, if I didn't create a pod map, sure, I could just rely on some of my friends. Um, but also our thinking gets really restricted or constricted when we're in crisis and we might just like rely on one or two people and overwhelm them. And so I, the, the beauty about the, the pod map worksheet is that we can kind of map the people out first. So the first thing I would do is like write my name in the center circle. Uh, so you just grab any kind of blank sheet, write your name in the center circle. The surrounding bold outline circles is my pod. So I'll write the names of people who are in my pod. Uh, an important action is to write the names of actual individuals rather than just like friends or my neighbors. Um, so the closest circles have a, a heavy border um, and pod people can be people you know you can really rely on. So these aren't necessarily family or friends or your partner even, um, but people you you come to trust and know that are reliable in, in whatever specific situation you're, you're referring to. So the next layer of circles are marked by dotted lines rather than solid, solid lines. So they are people who are movable. Um, they are people that could be moved into your pod but need a little bit more work. For example, I have some friends who could support me in a crisis, crisis, but I'm unsure, and I need to have a conversation with them first about my needs and my mental health, 
issues and how they could offer support. And then finally, the, the larger circles at the edge of the page are for networks, communities and groups that could be resources for you. So for me, it might be like mental health services practitioners who aren't um, going to hospitalise me without my consent, um, practitioners who engage in harm reduction. Um, so that's, that's what could happen for the, the larger um, circles. Yeah, so there's that. There's, that's the kind of how. Um, I'd really, I mean, is there anything else that you would add to that, Carly? Um, no, but I think that you make a really great point that this is a tool that we can use prior to coming into crisis situations. And it was only recently that a friend called me up and she works in a similar position to what I do where I support people um, who are criminalised and who have also yeah. experienced family and domestic violence. And uh, my friend, uh, a family member of hers, um, has been struggling with alcohol and drug addiction. And there was a crisis that happened in this woman's life and my friend um, was deeply affected by it and she called me crying, wanting to know mm. what supports um, for her family member that she could reach mm. out to. And if it hadn't been somebody who was incredibly close to her, then she mm. would have mapped out some solutions, some options. Mm. But because it was yeah. in a, a moment of crisis, um, she couldn't think clearly through mm. work that she actually has done before um, and assisted yeah. people who um, are struggling with alcohol and drug addictions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think preparation is key. You know, I think that in, I mean, we, we've heard a lot about like, you know, in the context of bushfires or like, um, you know, other disasters, there's like uh, crisis preparation and planning for that, right? What's your bushfire preparation plan? Or in the context of, you know, pandemics and epidemics, we're hearing a lot about how do you prepare for that. But we don't often hear about how do you prepare for like everyday harms, which are more likely than a pandemic, right? Like, because harm happens in so many ways and support is required very frequently. And so I think, yeah, like, to to consider how, who do you need, what do you need um, when when you're not in crisis, um, I think is, is so, uh, so important. But I guess the other thing that is, a really important part of why preparation or planning is important is around consent and negotiation. Um, so the beauty about this is that you can map it out. So you, you've done your pod map. Um, the, the, the second part is actually taking it to people who are on your uh, pod map and asking them if um, they consent to being the person you can call on when harm happens or when support is required. And having that conversation helps to be deliberate and intentional and transparent about the support you're requesting. Um, so it helps to create a culture of consent, but it also, you know, then you can know, oh, are they, do they have the space, the availability, the time, the resources to do it, rather than just um, assuming they will, and then calling them when you're in a crisis, and then realizing, oh, damn, they 
aren't available and then um, realising that you don't have anyone to call. So I think, yeah, um, that consent process is, I think, something that which is missing in our culture quite broadly, but in a lot of um, a lot of practices that are out there. Mm. And I also really enjoy how people can move, um, I guess, kind of the levels of your pod as well. Mm-hmm. And it also mm. makes you think about, yes, the people that you can call on um, in situations mm-hmm. where you've either caused harm or you've been harmed, but mm-hmm. also thinking about those people in your life who you might be able to call on in those yeah. situations, but also then yeah. how maybe you've never had a conversation with them about yeah. their policies or you know yeah. their politics around mental health or around calling the police. And so mm-hmm. it allows you to think about those people that you can bring closer to mm-hmm. your inner circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, which is, um, I agree, Kylie, and I think that's great. And also like an act of vulnerability, you know, to, to like start a conversation with someone who you not very emotionally intimate with. They're like, oh, this person is someone I think I can trust, but I, I want to have this conversation. It is an act of vulnerability, but also, like, I think so crucial in this work is that, like, we normalise these conversations, right? We, we normalise asking people about, you know, our um, bringing them on to, like, hold us accountable around something or offering us support. But there is so much stigma, right? and I think I'm really aware of this as a counsellor who, you know, sees people in private because there's so much shame and stigma for people to, to address issues around mental health in their friends and family, like, that these conversations always carry with it, like, a lot of stigma um, and a lot of shame. Uh, and so I think, you know, if we we have a map where we can, like, find ways to reach out to people and start these conversations. Um, I think it not only like broadens our community or network of support, but it also offers those people and um, the people who we're asking almost like a sense of permission, right? A sense of going, hey, I'm seeking help. I'm normalising that like, you know, that these kind of conversations around harm or support. And I think it gives people, other people permission to do the same in their, their lives as well. And, Yon, um, in your practice, how have you used this tool for community accountability? Yeah. It's, like, it's often come a lot... Uh, sorry, it's come up a lot um, when... I'm having conversations about people and they feel isolated or disconnected from people um, that are wanting to reach out a bit more. Um, so in some of my counselling sessions, um, you know, like when people are talking about disconnection or isolation um, but needing support, I'll ask them about yeah, who they have in their life. Uh, that can support them and I'll ask them like I'll kind of introduce this tool as like a one possible map or one possible tool to figure out and stretch their um, support networks 
And so we, we just kind of do it together, right? Um, we have a blank piece of paper, an A3 piece of paper, which is better, and we just start the process, have them in the center, and then ask them who are the people in the, the inner circle. And usually it's often people struggle a bit because, um, I mean, it's the process of which is feels really vulnerable to name these are the people or to find out or realize you don't have a lot of people in your inner circle. I think that in itself can bring a lot of shame. And so part of the conversation is going, right, like we might only have a couple of people, even one person in our inner circle. Um, and that's okay. Like part of it is like mapping out and re- revealing who we have, revealing the gaps and then asking yourself then who do we need to fill those gaps and people like you know because it's such a, a visual tool uh, an accessible tool and one that is quite simple um, I have found in, in my sessions um, people have like latched onto pretty quickly and and then like they can take it home right and like further map out their their pod map if we don't finish it in the session and then they can do the second part which is like going to those people and and um, seeking consent around being in the, the circle um but yeah the so i've done it in my sessions but um i've also talked about it in some of uh, the community accountability workshops that I've, i'm running at the moment or have run in the past uh so that's kind of cool as well because to do it in a training uh workshop context you kind of generate a big conversation about it um so yeah they're the two contexts in which I've, I've practiced it mm. and I particularly like pod mapping because one of the reasons why I've actually started this series liberation loops is because I think that community accountability and transformative justice are being talked about much more in our communities but mm. people yeah. don't necessarily know um, the tools um, that they can practice on a daily yeah. basis. And this is something yeah. that we can all practice. Um, yeah. And I think that a lot of people are saying, no, we're not going to be calling the cops. Um, no, we're not going to be calling these certain violent institutions anymore. Mm-hmm. And they're looking to, for want of a better word, an alternative. And people mm-hmm. think that we need to create these other I guess, community organisations that can replace the police or replace these other harmful institutions. But in reality, we have to completely rethink the way that we respond to harm with one another. And that's something that pod mapping, I guess, creates um, a path for us to work towards. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I really appreciate that point, Carly. I mean, I think particularly as we're questioning policing what can often happen is yeah as you said like let, let's create this other organization or let's turn to this other system let's turn to this leader let's turn to someone big you know in our world who is the founder of this organization and i think that you know what we want to do is decentralize power mm. um, and not rely on one source one person to give us the answers or to be the rescuer or favor or intervener in a situation what transformative justice is really bad is that we all have to learn and practice 
communicating, apologizing, um, reaching out, um, holding each other accountable, understanding the links between like trauma and violence. You know, I think this isn't the work of just experts or the work of therapists. You know, it's the work that we all can do and need to do to transform this culture. And I think, you know, like, the more we can feel we are, we're, we're practicing it or just doing the small steps, I think the more we kind of demystify the process because I think still a lot of people are, like, wondering, you know, thinking that it's a very confusing or big process, you know? I think a lot of people think, oh, my gosh, community accountability is this whole, like, you know, two-year process where you have to, like, create these massive group structures and commit all your time and energy into, and then at the end of it, everyone's kind of disillusioned. I mean, yes, that happens, but I think pod mapping offers a very um, accessible or, like, easier tool to you, um, which means it's like, okay, you're doing the work, right? It's mm. not something that you have to, um, yeah, get schooled on for for a really long time before you engage with. Mm. And so you've got your pod map. What happens then when harm does happen? So you have yeah. experienced harm, um, mm-hmm. and how does the pod map work in that instant? So this is assuming that you've created a pod map um, when you've experienced harm, right? That you, your pod map is to support people um, you have in place for that. So, I mean, I think that's a really important point to make that you can't use one pod map for every case. So, like, your pod map for causing harm and people you need to hold you accountable will be possibly very different to the pod map um, if you've experienced harm. So, yeah. I've experienced harm. I've, you know, six months ago, I created this, you know, pod map or, or, you know, mapping out the circles or the people who would help me. Um, and I, the other part is like that you check in with people from time to time uh, if they're still agreeable to be on this map. So harm happens six months later. I will contact these people, and they are already aware that they're on the map. And I'll say, I'll tell them, provide some information or context to what the harm was. Um, and it, you know, depending on what you negotiate with those persons, so they could just offer, you know, one person could just offer like emotional support. Like someone could offer practical support, transporting you to places, accompanying you to events where the person who caused you harm might be, um, going to appointments with you. And then you might have a person who um, can do the work around speaking to the person who has caused the harm, right? So I know this like dips into like community accountability processes, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think there can be a variety of different people. So you'd you'd make contact, um, you'd ask if they're still on board, if they're on board, they would take those actions um, that you kind of agreed on. And I, I imagine, like, because every context or incident is different, you would have to have that conversation about what kind of support 
they can offer and how how often or how frequent. So I think that that consent process doesn't just happen right at the beginning, um, but happens when the the support is activated. Um, yeah, so that, that's a really significant um, step that happens after yeah, you've experienced harm. Mm. Lastly, Ocean, can you tell listeners how they can find out a bit more about your work? Yeah, um, I have a very basic website. <laughs> it's called, um, you can find me at healingandjustice.com.au or um, on social media, media like Healing and Justice. Um, so, yeah, that's how you can find out about my work. And I yeah, would love to connect with people who are interested in the themes that we've talked about today um i can't get enough of talking about transformative justice (laughs) or community accountability so yeah totally hit me up (laughs) well thank you so much for joining us on 3cr to talk through pod mapping and also what community accountability means to you yeah thank you carly it's been a pleasure and that was a conversation that i had with young ocean dang about pod mapping and community accountability and if you want to find out more about pod mapping then head to the 3CR website and follow the Liberation Loop series. And there you will find links to both Ocean's work and also the Bay Area Transformative Justice Collective's resources for pod mapping. Thank you to Squidgenini for providing the music to the opening segment. And I really want to find out if you're enjoying this series. So email me at cbaque. 3cr at gmail.com and tell me your thoughts. Next week, uh, you'll be hearing a conversation that I have with Annalisa Fat about collaborative dialogue. So tune in then.